Welcome to Archie Digest, the Riverdale podcast. This is a podcast that's about a story that's about a town, and this week the town has been overthrown by Love, Simon Mania, which is sweeping the country coast to coast. We've all got posters on our walls. We're all wearing the t-shirts. I'm Chris Hader. <laughs> and I'm Russ Burlingame. Craig Byrne can't be with us today. He is traveling, but uh, he may very well send us a post-game uh recording with his thoughts like Chris and I sometimes do when we can't be on episodes. Like I was supposed to do last time and definitely did not. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Totally forgot about it. That's all right. I edited, I think five podcasts in two days. So I, between this and and the two other shows that I'm on. So I completely didn't realize that you hadn't sent me more work to do. All right. I feel good about it then. Uh, So yeah, I, I guess we should say this is, I, th- I don't think I mentioned it up front. This is Chapter 27, The Hills Have Eyes, another right. we, scary, creepy horror movie. Yeah, which is funny because I do kind of feel like the horror movie elements of the season have largely departed. Uh, we definitely see an element of, like, the strangers kind of thing in this week's episode. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually kind of surprised that they didn't just go with the on-the-nose, like, naming it after the strangers or something like that. But... Uh, I guess the hills have eyes because they went off into the middle of nowhere. Well, normally I would say, given that there's a Strangers sequel coming out literally this week. Oh, yeah. They didn't title it that to avoid being accused of promoting a movie. However, as we (laughs) learned, clearly they have no problems promoting a movie on this TV show. Yeah. Oh, man. It's it's funny because uh, one of the things on the on the. Riverdale Reddit uh, subreddit before I had a chance to actually watch the screener, they had like taken a screen grab of some other TV critic who had seen the episode and who was not overly impressed that they had 20 seconds of unedited footage from the film in (laughs) the episode. And having watched the episode, I'm kind of like the, the contextually the 20 seconds of clip works fine. Right. Uh, it's it's really just the fact that they had so much other stuff that makes it really stand out. Like what the hell? Well, I mean, <laughs> here's the thing: uh, the 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 B plot of this entire episode is everyone who's not at the cabin in the woods goes to the movies. Right. All at the same time. All at the same showing. And okay, Greg Berlanti, as we all know, is an executive producer on this show. He's got a lot of TV shows. I don't, I can't blame him for being like, yeah, let's promote my little like. It's it's not a big budget movie. It's not right. going to get a ton of. It's not going to get a, get a ton of promo, like traditional promotions. Yeah, he's clearly Why got some some deal for TV spots with the CW because I've seen a ton of them on this network and no place else. Yeah, and I. think feel like the audience that's going to want it like i want to see love simon but i'm definitely not the target audience the the target audience is going to be much younger and i feel like riverdale is a show that a lot of that audience is going to be watching yeah absolutely 
I mean, it, to- it totally makes sense. Uh, and it, it really isn't even that obtrusive. It, the, the, when, or intrusive, excuse me. Uh, when it's intrusive is when you intellectually know, oh, the, like the guy in charge of Riverdale directed this film. He's making them do this. Um, and, yeah. and so, uh, but within the text of the episode, if you can divorce yourself from that knowledge, it's not really that, like, it's, it's not really that bad. Um, but it definitely, one thing I will say is that I'm a little wary of the, what is it? Uh, what is the, the, the Latin expression that's basically just because two things happen in proximity, they don't happen because of one another? Um, what? Uh, I don't speak Latin, dude. Uh, well, this in any event. a TV show on the CW. I don't know what you're reaching for. Uh, I, I can't remember. Those. Anyway, the, the point here is I, I'm a little weirded out by the idea that essentially Love, Simon made Cheryl come out. But yeah. yeah. That's really the only area where I was like, huh, that might be a bridge too far. It was a, it was strange. Um, yeah, it was it was it was a little strange. Uh, I appreciate them telling some kind of story with Cheryl, mm-hmm. which doesn't happen seem to happen a lot unless it's about her mom being a prostitute. I guess. Well, and I do. I actually like the way that they handled Cheryl's that that element of her story. Uh, I, I like the idea that in this kind of rich puritanical family in a small town that her parents would have actively discouraged her sexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I, I think that it actually was handled really well. I just think it's kind of a like a hand on the forehead moment that like, oh man, we're having this conversation because she went to see Greg Berlanti's movie. Um, well, and it makes me wonder... What the how the, what this story would have looked like without the movie aspect of it? If the movie wasn't going to be sort of a plot focus for this episode, would Cheryl's character have taken the same turn? Would it, how would they have approached it then? Like, I'm hoping this isn't something that just kind of came up like as a result of like, well, how are we going to work this movie into the plot? Right, and I I don't think that. Are you getting an echo on my voice? I'm sorry. Not really, no. Okay. I, I'm hearing myself back like two seconds later, but if you're not hearing it, I can deal. Uh, I, I don't think that they – I mean, I think it would be borderline suicidal for them to do that, to, <laughs> to, to build plot – like major plot points in an incredibly popular show around uh, an indie film that will make $8 million and then disappear. Um. That and no disrespect, I I too am interested in the movie. I think that it it looks like a lot of fun, but just laying it down on black and white, like it would be a bizarre bizarre choice for them to restructure a major part of a character arc to accommodate a film that will not be nearly as well remembered as this as this series. <laughs> um, if only but, Iron Man was in Love Simon. There you go. Then maybe they can have a, an, a a Love Simon chef crossover. Ooh, into it. 
but uh but yeah i the the love simon of it all was it like i said i really do think that if you didn't know that it was berlanti's movie it would have seemed like a weird thing that corporate made them do but it wouldn't be something that drives nearly as much conversation as it's going to drive because everybody's going to be kind of laughing under their breath at berlanti's kind of sleight of hand Right. If we didn't know it was Berlanti, it would ring to me a lot. Like I've, <laughs> I've been uh, thinking about and watching a lot of Dawson's Creek lately. Uh, <laughs> it would it would ring to me as sort of like the latter season Dawson's Creek episode where they're all like, "Oh my God, let's go see Doctor Drew and Adam Carolla at the Love Lives." Yes. Like, yes. About, about five years after anyone stopped knowing what Love Line was. Yeah. And all of yeah. a sudden, the whole episode was about we got to go see Love Line. It's the greatest. <laughs> yeah, the I, I mentioned this to this to you off mic, but the the thing that I'm writing about today uh, for for comic book is that there was that episode of Bones where the creepy dude from Avatar, who was one of the squinterns on Bones, uh, had a, a subplot where he like went and camped out with his friends to try and get tickets to Avatar. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and it was just like. Man, that was – you can still see the marks where the crowbar was used. Yeah. It's like that except if everybody else on Bones except for Bones went with him. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but, at, uh, but, yeah, at, at the same time, like, it's – it provides an interesting sort of character development point for not just Cheryl, I would say uh, – it's great to see Tony Topaz doing something besides being Jughead's girl Friday. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's cool to see her get actual character development as a human being, as opposed to just as this girl, he knows who's in the serpents with him. Yeah. And especially once she and Jughead essentially had their like mini breakup where they don't, they don't hang out as much anymore now that he's back with Betty. And so now she like her entire role, the last three or four episodes was, Hey, be hot and snarky. Yeah. And it's it's really nice. Like I actually genuinely I was ambivalent about the idea of hooking her up with Cheryl mostly just because the two actresses are such good friends that it felt almost like a like yeah, why not? We'll just toss this in there thing. Like more opportunity than than anything else. Uh-huh. Uh it's the same it's the thing that we've been joking about like as Legends of Tomorrow viewers with uh, Courtney Ford and Brandon Routh having chemistry on the on that show. It's like, really? You just cast his wife for the first time that he actually looks at a girl? <laughs> but uh, so, so I was a little ambivalent just because it felt to me like off-screen stuff was driving that plot. Uh, having seen this episode, though, I really dig it. Uh, I like the fact that Cheryl's brand is that she doesn't put up with bullshit, but anybody who's watched this show knows that most of her persona is bullshit. And the thing that I like about Tony is not, she isn't just like the anti Cheryl in the sense that she's somebody who doesn't put up with bullshit. And now she meets Cheryl. It's Mm -hmm. that she sees through the bullshit and 
it's so easy in these stories to have the person who's just like, I'm going to treat you like you would treat anybody else. And I'm not going to let you get away with this. And frankly, we've seen that enough times that it's not super interesting anymore. Mm. The fact that Tony lets her kind of come to this on her own and be like, Hey, I know better. So I'm here to talk. If you ever want to get your shit together, uh, that to me made it way more interesting than just kind of where I thought they were going to go with it. Yeah, it's uh, – I'm never sure where any Cheryl storyline is going because she moves <laughs> back and forth between, like, a maniacal supervillain and someone with maybe the biggest heart on the show in a weird yeah. way. Like, she, she plays both sides really well. So I'm, I'm, I never know exactly which side we're going to see and how it's going to play out. I like how this is playing out, and I like that – we didn't get to see her with Jason. We didn't get yeah. to see... We Obviously, we know through how she talked about it what their relationship was like and through those super weird, creepy videos uh, that like yeah. them hanging out at the river. Um, but we never got to see that closeness that she always talked about. We haven't seen her like that with anybody. So to see her yeah. able to open up to someone and actually get to see sort of like what an unguarded Cheryl is like is a really it's fascinating but it's also nice to see because yeah. you, you can only remind yourself so many times that this she's not um she's not just a monster yeah before having it laid out in front of you helps a lot that said her uh, her like monster moment in this episode was probably my favorite like thing yet this season like where she just calls up jughead and is like Oh, by the way, this is what happened. I hope you enjoy your getaway. <laughs> She's so pissed about not getting invited camping that she yeah. tries to ruin four lives with a yeah. phone call. Oh, she's the best. Uh, and honestly, like if let's if we look at this honestly, she would have hated being on that trip. Oh, absolutely. She it's what what Cheryl is a case of is she wants to be able to say no. Mm-hmm. She wants to have the pleasure of turning you down. She doesn't want to be left out. She wants to be offered a chance to come in and then be like, no, I'm not into it. Yeah, which is funny because we've actually seen that not in a kind of pointed way before, but we have, uh, there was a, and I can't remember what exactly the scene was, but I distinctly remember a season one bit where, she comes in there talking about something and Betty kind of awkwardly invites her out of obligation. And then she just like shreds Betty and leaves the room. (laughs) I remember that. And it's like, yeah, it's that you're, you're exactly right. Had she had the opportunity, that's what she would have done. And then there would have been no subplot about Cheryl interfering with the romance. But I will say like, I'm, I'm actually kind of happy she made that call. Just because it got all these stupid teenagers to get their stuff out in the open. Yeah, and totally. deal with it. So it doesn't blow up later. Which yeah, although... probably still will. Yeah, I also... I, I feel like the 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 thing of doing the... Where, where Veronica pulls him aside and was like, well, I'm going to reward you for your honesty. Uh, it was sweet, and it was cute, and I liked it. However, in the interim between the kiss and now he has done so many things that he's either lied to her about or omitted that I, I, I feel like it's kind of fraught 
when you establish this thing of her quote unquote rewarding him for trusting her and for being honest. Cause it's like, you're omitting the fact that there's been 30 other times in the last 10 episodes where he was not those things. He is. <sighs> I don't, I don't know. Like dumb. Is it like, I know we talked about dumb Archie a lot in season one. I don't see him as dumb at this point. I just feel he's wildly misguided. Yeah. Like insanely misguided. He joined we 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 haven't talked about the fact that he's essentially joined the mafia for his high school girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. And I mean I, I certainly I'm I'm speaking to that point, I'm interested in the weird developments this episode where Hiram bought up big chunks of Betty and Jughead's lives. Because obviously he already, quote-unquote, controls Fred. And so it, it, it was one of those things like where as much as Archie and Veronica try to downplay it, there is something really unsettling about the fact that you've got these four people out camping, trying to have fun and be friends, and Jughead pointing out that, like, you know what? This is not a thing that should work. And it could fall apart. And meanwhile, you have this like external force who's pressing on all of the weak spots, trying his damnedest to make it fall apart by all appearances. And at a bare minimum, if he's not trying to make it fall apart, he's being super creepy. Yeah, it's... It's, it's, so, it's such a weird... The whole thing is on the, just at the point of near explosion. Mm-hmm. Throughout is, the episode. Throughout. Yeah, which is funny because, of course, there's like seven episodes left this season or something. And I, I feel like there's it, – it's got to be – I don't know what more can happen to kind of ratchet up that tension. But obviously there's going to be a lot more before it releases. Well, and that's the thing. I was thinking about this today. Um, the Black Hood feels like it was seven years ago. Oh, I know. There is so much going on this season, and it's all so scattered that, like, it it makes everything it it just makes everything else feel so distant from where we are now. I don't know how I feel about that. And back to a point that we uh, we discussed, I think the last time that you and I were both on the show together, uh, they have a line of dialogue in this episode that confirms in case you didn't realize it. Like, yeah, this is the same school year. Like this is less than a calendar year from when Jason Blossom was murdered. And holy shit, all of this is still happening. Like what a fucked up year. Yeah. And so that, that's one of those that, that stuck out at me just in the sense of like, I mean, we already knew it. We'd kind of, broken the math out and figured out that like, Oh yeah, that has to be true. That's weird. But like having it be a thing where in dialogue, they're like, yeah, yeah. Betty and Veronica kissed the first week of school. It's like, yes, it, that was just the first week of school. <laughs> um, wow. Um, Holy crap. I, that I it, like, I didn't even really think about that as I watched the episode, but like, yeah, yeah. it's like spring, I guess. So, by school year, that's not even a year. It's been six months. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, like school it's in probably, it probably nine January months-ish because it was obviously oh. the 4th of July when Jason, when Jason got killed. Right, okay. But, but yeah, all of this, like, basically, Veronica coming and upsetting the balance of everything that was going on in Riverdale at the time happened six months ago. And now Archie's in the mob. <laughs> having, like, as we learned, like, literally having sex with Veronica all the time. Yeah. They don't stop. Jughead is a, like a prize-winning writer now, and and in the biker gang. Although I feel like he forgot about that these past few episodes. And his dad is went to jail, got arrested, went to jail, got out of jail, and is now back in the biker gang and working at a diner. Yeah, I mean, uh, to, to to be fair on him forgetting uh, that could literally. I mean, there's been so many hiatus weeks that more than anything else we i think it's only been two episodes since there was a big serpent subplot but that seems like forever because there's been like two episodes in six weeks wow there's there's so much too much and 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 chick cooper on top of everything yeah yeah that's another weird thing when you really think about it is the fact that uh betty only found out that he exists like three weeks ago. Yeah, three weeks ago in the, the timeline of the show. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the trip to camp. First of all, yes. uh, Blake Neely's music got as like Angelo Badalamenti as it's ever going to get. <laughs> Th- those establishing shots of the cabin and the, it was so, so Twin Peaks. Also, can I just say, when Veronica described her cabin as rustic, and then they showed up to their forest mansion, yeah, it's like it's the most on-brand her thing the show could possibly do. Yeah, that like this is my this is my bare bones cabin, you guys. I also love the fact that there's this ridiculously ostentatious cabin that nobody uses ten months out of the year. And the local right. yokels decide, no, we're going to break in so that we can steal their wallets. Yeah, take that, Richies. Yeah. It's like, wait, you couldn't have taken the $80,000 in merch that's in this house at any given time? No, you just have to scare somebody? Because why? She was nice to you? At the, that, that's the weirdest thing. It's not even like she shot him down. She, she literally... He was, wasn't a dick about it at all. Yeah. So there's just the, the the idea that that they would want to come and terrorize these people is so weird that it makes me wonder once again because this is just the way my brain works if this is something that Hiram put together. I mean certainly the fact that you don't hear that gunshot until Archie is well out of the eye line. Do you uh, think that do you think that guy is dead? I think the I think yes, but I would be zero percent surprised if it was no. Like here's it, now here's my question: If he is dead, doesn't that make Archie an accomplice to murder? No, nah, I mean, I guess it depends on if they reported it to the police or not, which I assume they would have because the alarm was set. Yeah, uh, because obviously, if you are defending your life and/or property, 
Uh, there's a lot of things that you can, and, and technically, yes, as far as we know, that makes him an accomplice to murder because he he walked away knowing that Andre was going to cap that dude for sure. But as far as the police and everything, no, I don't think that's ever like that's not a subplot that's ever going to get explored. That's not a thing that's going to haunt Archie except for in his own conscience. Because as far as I'm concerned, like the look of that is, yeah, nobody's ever going to prosecute like the bodyguard of some rich girl for shooting the dude who was just menacing her with an axe. Uh, yeah, that's true. All right. But uh, Archie's just in such a dark place right now that it freaks me out. No, totally. And, and, and I const- I- I've, like my constant train of thought is like, oh, this is one more thing that's going to haunt him forever. Yeah. And he realizes, like, wait, I did all this for a high school hookup? Come on! Yeah, no, totally. That There are so many things right now uh, that fall into that category. Just so much stuff where you're just like, wait, yeah, this is not going to... He's not going to be okay with this in another six months when the next round of Awful has happened. Yes. Uh, but I will say, the not everything about this cabin getaway was literal life and death. Yeah. Uh, there was also some really insane, perfectly teenage logic going on mm-hmm. in that once Jughead was filled in on the kiss between Archie and Betty, Veronica's idea of the only way for this to work out is if she kisses Jughead, because then everything will be even, which is ridiculous. I feel like she turned off chasing Amy about 10 minutes too early. A little bit. Uh, that like, to me, that was the very first thing I thought as soon as I, like, obviously you've seen in the trailers for literally weeks that this was going to be a thing that they yes. were going to kiss for some reason. And the internet's been having minor conniptions about it. But as soon as the episode started playing out and you started to see that like teenage logic taking shape and start to understand why and how it was happening. Right. My immediate reaction was, oh, it's chasing Amy. Yeah. <laughs> and and unfortunately for them, they didn't get to the part of the movie where uh, Alyssa it says, like, that's really reasons. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and it ruins everybody's relationships forever. But uh, yeah, for me, it was very much, I as it's happening, I'm like, I mean, I get why, as kids, they would think this is the way to go, but oh my god, this is so dumb. It is. It's kind of a, like, here's the thing. If we're going by the technicality of it, Mm -hmm. uh, Betty and Art, wait, hold on. Betty and Jughead, so many weird names. Betty (laughs) and Jughead and Archie and Veronica, they were all broken up at the time. Yeah. So, like, like Jughead likes to portray himself as the bigger man, you know, the, the good guy, the, the dark hero, mm-hmm. let it go, dude. Just let it go. Yeah. And literally about to die. And the other thing too, is Jughead's acknowledgement to Betty that he essentially went along with it just to see Archie squirm. It, it's both, yes. it's both hilarious as a line of dialogue uh-huh. And also, like, deeply shitty on a visceral level when you consider it's, everything else about these characters. It's such a dick thing to do to someone you claim is your best friend. Yeah. Uh. So that's, uh, yeah. Um, 
Uh, it's funny because I, I took my notes in, you know, sequential order instead of doing them after the episode. And so right around this point in my notes, I have the note, the guy in the store is super creepy, which clearly yeah. uh, did not actually need to be a note because that paid off pretty quickly. It turns out you were very, very correct. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, shifting gears away from the, the camp though. Uh, is it just me or does Kevin get super weird super quickly about, and okay, the whole Kevin Moose thing makes very little sense to me because when Moose told Kevin that Midge knew all about them and she was cool with it, his tone and Kevin's reaction both to me suggested that like polyamory was on the table and that, uh, Kevin was super weirded out about that being on the table. Like I didn't get that he was that weirded out just about her knowing, which it, it, it would have been an interesting, sorry. I think he was surprised by the fact that he was saying she knew, although as we clearly found out, she did not know. Right. And that's the, that's the weirdest thing. Like I don't understand. And, and again, it's teenagers and, and, People do dumb things in these situations, but I do but kind that of was like a really dumb thing. Yeah, because like it's a small town. What if Kevin had just joked about it with her the next yeah. time he saw her sans moose? You know, oh, whatever to it being a small town, they're all friends. Yeah, like come on. Uh, I, I, it's funny every time I see Midge, I feel like. Wait, did they recast her? Because her hair keeps changing. Um, does it really? Oh, yeah, yeah it does. Huh? It, it's gotten a lot longer, uh, and yeah. I almost, I almost wonder if it's a conscious thing because, like, she, she looked like, uh, she looked like like a runway model or like something like that with the short hair. But I almost feel like they're aware of the fact that when a dude is by. And his girlfriend has short boy cut hair. It can be taken as like, well, he's he he likes her because she looks like a dude, which is clearly not what's going on there. That is, yeah, it's definitely not why he likes Midge. Yeah, and so I almost wonder if that was kind of a silent thing where they really like the actress, but they're just like, okay, but we got to grow the hair because we don't like this isn't what we're going for. Um, I also wonder if it's the sort of thing where they don't use her very much. So yeah. they're like, all right, just come back in, whatever. That's we'll very possible. We'll a couple so. of scenes and be done with it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was a that was a weird move, for, and, and a, a, not a very smart move for Moose to make. Because um, yeah. I don't know how, I don't know what future he envisions where that doesn't come up at some point. Yeah. And it, that's one of those things where I'm super interested to see where they take that kind of subplot because I almost – I can't decide whether Kevin covering for him is something that's supposed to tie into Kevin's other subplot and this idea that like he knows how much it hurt him when Josie just blurted that out. And so he's doing – like he's just doing the guy a solid by standing by him or – whether he thinks that by keeping it on the DL, they might be hooking up again soon. Because now nobody, you know, you're back to the nobody knows, and ostensibly you could do this surreptitiously. 
I suppose. I don't know. It was that all. That was all very odd. Yeah, I, I, I hadn't really thought about it till I started talking. But I almost feel like maybe that was what they were going for. Was this idea that Kevin, as because I got the sense in the first part of this episode that he was hurt and angry by the Moose and Midge dynamic, and I almost felt like the reason he the reason we see that wheel turning and the reason we see him decide to, to bail, you know, to throw Moose a line is basically because he knows how much Josie just hurt him like 10 minutes ago by, you know, ripping that bandaid off when he wasn't ready. And so I almost wonder if it was that one of those things where those two stories were supposed to be married up a little bit. And because Kevin is not one of the core four, a scene probably got dropped at some point that made it a little more discontinuous than it was. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, mean, I, th- I think, I think it's possible. Like, I feel like these since not early in this season, but since, I guess I guess since we've come back from hiatus, the show's been kind of trying to figure out what to do with Kevin. Um, he hasn't really had a sustained plot. Yeah. And I understand yeah. that, like, he's not one of the main four, and the main four are, like, they're in the mob, and they're in a biker gang, and they're all fighting each other, and, like, land is up for grabs, and blah, 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 blah. But... As we saw in this episode, like, it feels like... and and. To a degree, with the last episode, it feels like they're tr- they're actually trying to give some kind of story to sort of the second the second tier characters. Yeah, absolutely. Which I appreciate. Like, I want more stories for Kevin. I want more stories for Josie and Cheryl, and now mm-hmm. Tony. Like, I I think Tony is an, a really cool addition to what they got going on here. Um, I wish we saw the other Pussycats more, even though that band doesn't exist anymore. Whatever. Yeah, that's such a weird... And the weirdest thing about that is that it feels like the kind of thing that is supposed to be dealt with. Like, it feels like the kind of thing where it's like, no, that can't happen. So clearly we need to deal with that story at some point. But I think the real reason behind it is because Haley is in so much demand that they had to work around her schedule. And so it's... It's not getting dealt with, and there's no sense of urgency to it, and it's just kind of weird. I think there's a bit of that. I also think, like, the Mayor McCoy, the corruption of Mayor McCoy slash relationship with Keller slash yeah. everything else took t- such a front seat for uh, anything that's going to involve Josie that, like, they just don't have root. Like, I don't know where they would put a story right now about what's going on with the Pussycats. I mean, it, it almost speaks to something that we complained about last year sometimes, which is when we were searching for Jason Blossom's murderer and all of these awful things were happening to people we cared about, every time Archie got bent out of shape about his fucking guitar, you wanted to hit him with it. Yeah. And so uh, I, you're, you're probably right, actually. It's one of those things where you might look at the, art, at the Josie thing and be like, yeah, that's a story that needs to be dealt with. But if we try to deal with it right now, it's going to be the least interesting part of the episode. And it'll undercut these other five plots we have going on that all, like, if you follow them back far enough, land at Josie. Like, yeah. the clearly the Mayor McCoy as mayor thing, uh, Mayor McCoy's relationship with Keller, 
Mayor McCoy's relationship with the lodges. Mm-hmm. It all like it all sort of hits Josie on some level. So also entwining her in a but my band kind of story. Yeah. Would be tough. Yeah, and we do know from the publicity material for Carrie the Musical that Josie's EP is dropping soon. And so there will be a time in the not too distant future when her music career is going to become a major point of conversation again. I'd just, and, like, to, I'd just like to say Josie's EP is dropping soon. What does that <laughs> mean? She doesn't have a record deal. Well, apparently she's going to distribute it on iTunes. So can you, can you just do that? I look, I understand. I don't understand how iTunes works. You, I don't you believe just add a song to it. I don't believe that you can. Uh, I think that it has to be through a recognized whatever. I could be totally wrong. I know that you can you can obviously debut on places like Bandcamp and stuff, but it's specifically uh, you go to SoundCloud, man. Yeah, well, but it specifically said iTunes in that press release, and so my guess, really? yeah, on in the Carry the Musical stuff, uh, it, it said that her EP was going to be available on iTunes like sometime in April. My guess I have is forgotten all about that whole episode. <laughs> well, my guess is that he that that they uh, it will tie to the agent that um, Cheryl was ostensibly hooking her up with at one point. Because well, if you her, remember, isn't her, isn't her dad also kind of? I, if I'm remembering correctly, isn't her dad kind of a big deal in the music? That's industry? true. Yeah. <laughs> Although he's a big deal in like jazz or something. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it's something where there's no money in that. But, I don't make your bullshit power pop, girl. Yeah, yeah, and he's kind of a dick too. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So in, in any event, I you're you're probably right. It's probably just being moved, like punted down until it's a, at the point where they can deal with it. And I guess with her album coming out soon, that gives them the opportunity to revisit like frigid stage mom. Sierra, Ooh. and that could give the music a uh, weight and heft that it would lack right now compared to the other stuff that's going on. Okay, question. Yeah. So we'll see the release of Josie's EP around the musical episode. Yeah. What's the what's what are the odds that we'll actually see her working on this EP at some point on the show? I have no idea. I would assume that they're fairly good just because they like we've seen, obviously we've seen her rehearsing with the pussycats and stuff before, but I could also see with all the stuff that's going on in the show right now, them basically just saying, no, you totally saw her working on it. Remember when the creepy janitor dude who turned out to be the, the black hood, uh, came in to see her. That's what she, Oh, cool. So she's allowed to record her personal album at school. That's good to know. <laughs> I don't think that's how education works at all. Probably not, but I also don't think that you're allowed to be like in the music room two hours after school closes by yourself, unless you're the mayor's daughter, I guess. For sure, yeah. Um, one anyway, thing that was, that was a sidetrack. Apologies. Yeah, that's that's. Um, one thing I did want to talk about because I don't think we talked about it last time because there was a again last time there was a lot of stuff and Craig and I were not entirely focused, but. Uh, Okay, so the whole thing with the trailer park where basically Hiram offers to let everybody stay there for free and in exchange for Jughead Silence. 
And then Jughead. Oh, hi, Charlie. My daughter's uh, here. What's wrong, baby? Um, but that Jughead essentially tells him to go to hell because he doesn't want to be silenced. And then as soon as Jughead leaves the room for a minute, Hiram just, like, reinstates the deal with everybody else <laughs> and so ignores perfect. the fact that Jughead exists. Oh, what a scumbag. Which, I mean, frankly, kind of makes sense because he's 16 and can't really speak for a biker gang. But um, but the uh, the thing about that is that this episode... We can I, stop for a second if you'd like. No, no, my, my wife just came and got the okay, baby. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, first of all, I, I was really bothered by the fact that at no point in the last episode or this episode did anybody point out that Jughead's, like, selfish pigheadedness killed this deal that would have allowed people to keep their homes. I, yeah, yeah. I'm of two minds on it. Um, the mind that is a member of the press that's saying the press gets shit on all the time. Yeah. Uh, is like, yeah, Jughead. At the same time, oh, it's very, it's very dicey. It's also a little dicey because he's not a traditional journalist in any respect. He's like an advocacy journalist. And, and he's you, also not one of those. He's just a dude who got a job at the school newspaper and likes talking shit. Well, that's true too. But let, like being charitable and saying like he's in the business of like advocacy journalism, there is the the weird blurred line when you're in advocacy journalism of if you can do something that won't improve your ad revenue, but it will fix the problem you're ostensibly advocating for. Uh, you have a moral responsibility on some level to actually do that. And so taking himself on as like the Messiah of the serpents, it is one of those things where it's like, sometimes man, Messiahs get nailed to things. And if you have to take it on the chin so that people cannot get kicked out of their homes, I I kind of feel like you have to. (laughs) And so it's it's tough. It's a weird situation. And I agree with you, like, watching that scene and especially watching Skeet kind of back him up and be like, womp, womp, uh, was hugely entertaining. But nobody ever addressed the fact that because you did that, all of our friends don't have any place to live. So well, good job. Jughead is a very interesting sort of activist. He is an activist when it suits him. He... If if it's something he could speak out against, he's there in a second until it's going to negatively impact him personally. Yeah. And it's at that point that he's like, whoa, wait a minute. What are we talking about here? Yeah. Uh, it's actually kind of funny. One of my uh, one of my favorite musicians is this like protest singer from the 60s called Phil Oaks. And he has this song called Love Me, I'm a Liberal. And it's about essentially moderate Democrats. And he, when he used to introduce the song, he used to say, uh, you know, this is a song about liberals, uh, 10 degrees to the left of center in good times, 10 degrees to the right of center when, if, when it affects them personally. And I'm like, <laughs> that, that, that's kind of Jughead. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, all, it's all great until someone tries to silence him for a minute. And, and, I mean, to be fair, 
one, he's usually right about most things, and two, he's a teenager. So you can't always hold him to the standard that we would Oh, absolutely. But, uh, like, kind of putting that out there so that anybody listening to us doesn't think that we're really crapping on the kid, but at the same time, watching it... Yes, he's a character that's... He's also a character that's sort of learning as he goes. Like, Mm -hmm. he never envisioned a world in which he would be a serpent, let alone the serpent. Like he right. always looked at, he looked at the serpents as everything he wanted. He stood against, and then what he learned was that while there are bad elements to it, which he's tried to get rid of, like they are a family and they protect each other like family. And that's something he's never had outside of, like like his mom and his sister left. Yeah, left and left without him. Left him there. And frankly, his dad has consistently, over the years, chosen the other family. Like, he, his dad has always chosen the serpents. So Absolutely. even though he didn't leave Jughead, like, Jughead doesn't have a functional family. 100%. Um, trying to think if there's any other major things. I still have a couple of little notes, but it's all, like, tangential stuff. There's nothing else big. Uh, I don't. I didn't like. I didn't like Chick Chick Cooper coming at Jughead. Yeah, that was ominous warnings. Yeah, I. And you know, here's the thing. I wish. I feel like Chick Cooper is this year's uh, Hiram Lodge. How last season, it was kind of cool waiting for that shoe to drop for a while, and then about halfway through the season, you're just like, "Okay, guys, give me something to work with." And I feel like that's what's happening with Chick at this point because he's being ominous and creepy and all of these things, and you don't know to what end. And You really don't, yeah. That can be super captivating for short periods of time, but it's, it's also kind of just exhausting. Well, it's also because he doesn't know how to give a look that's not, I wish you were dead. Yeah, that, that's definitely that. And it's like at a certain point, I'm like, I don't know if they're trying to build sympathy for this guy or not, but I am not feeling it because he looks like a super villain. Yeah, totally. Uh, he, I mean, he legit looks like he should be the son of Neil McDonough's Damian Dark. Uh, oh my god! Yeah. Uh, he definitely looks more like he's related to Neil McDonough than Courtney Ford does, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but yeah it's it's all very yeah creepy. he is I and i don't like it i'm i but i'm also i'm intrigued by wherever uh this story ends up going I, i'm actually interested by the fact that jughead who spent pretty much this whole episode overreacting to things had a really like super measured response to yeah. Like, the creepy dude who basically threatened Alice and Betty's life, in so many words. Honestly, if, like, if I was, if, if a dude came at me like that, I'd be like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. What are you talking about right now? It's yeah. Just, it's like, cool, man, I'm going camping later, y'all. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Let me leave you alone with Alice for four days. You're literally the most suspicious human being on the planet. You assume everyone is up to no good. I almost I, I I almost wonder if that is by design. I almost wonder if that's one of the if this is one of those situations where it seems like he underreacted, 
But really what it is is that he just knows that dude is bad news, and he knows that if he steps to him right now, Alice will kick him out of the house, and he'll never get the real story. Uh, yeah, that's possible. Whereas, you know, if if he gnaws away at it for a little bit, you can get to the to the core of the thing before anybody notices you're digging. Uh, that might be giving him a little bit too much credit, but it makes more sense <laughs> from a character point of view than having him be like, cool, dude, I'm going to go camping. Um, well, I, I hopefully will s- nobody winds up dead. Yeah. Again. Again. Yeah. I, I will say, too, uh, one thing, talking about Jughead, one of the things that I really did like, I liked the sequence between him and Archie in the woods. Uh, I always, those two get so little actual screen time together. Like when you actually break down the minutes of times that they're talking and not just kind of in the same physical space, it's pretty small. And, uh, and, and so watching that sequence, I thought they both really nailed it. And you forget how kind of luminous Cole's smile is because he never smiles on this show. And, and it, it totally changes Jughead's face. Uh, and, and so it was one of those scenes where you're just like, oh, yeah, wait, there's like a guy that you don't always want to grab by the collar and shake him in there somewhere. It really changes his entire disposition, A. But also it was another reminder of something that we, we got a couple of those this week. We don't get a lot, but these two are kids. Like yeah. these are two like 15 or 16-year-old best friends walking through the woods talking about how their girlfriends made out one day. Yeah. Like and that and it's 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 such a simple thing that you almost take for granted that we don't get that very often because there's so much drama going on. It's nice to just see a simple love between two two teenage boys who like grew up hanging out. Yeah, and I really actually I really like speaking about that. I really liked KJ's reaction to that, where he's just like, "What? Why?" Um, like that whole conversation really felt honest. And it, it was really refreshing to have it not be uh, a moment of, and I really, I, I kind of hope that we, I mean, look, I know things are going to boil over again and again in the life of the show, oh, but yeah. I, I, I kind of hope that for now we're done with the drama around all of this stuff. I would really like for at least a little while for the core four to not be breaking up or at each other's throats or whatever. Uh, there's so much, there's so much other stuff going on and there's so much other shit. That's way, way more dangerous to worry about that. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with letting these kids like be kids for five minutes. Well, especially now that Archie's in the mafia, he's going to need family. Exactly. Capital F family. Oh boy. Um, that said, I'm also uh, the other thing. I'm there. I, I'm like a hundred percent there for more uh, Kevin Keller and Josie stuff. Yes, I, I, I really like the dynamic that they built there, and I feel like it's it's built out of basically nothing. Like I don't feel like those two characters have had very much screen time. I certainly never thought of them as people who were particularly close. Mm-hmm. But just him dropping in that thing about like his plans for her in the musical was enough to establish that, okay, these are people who know each other, there's a backstory there, whatever, and then go. And they did a really good job of selling the relationship kind of moving forward in this episode. I think that's something that the show does well a lot of the time. Like, 
even if we don't see characters together, it tosses in little hints that tells that remind us like, oh no, like they all go to the same small town school. They all hang out together. Like yeah. they don't they don't have a choice. They're the only other people there. Yeah. So I I, I like that it throws in just those little nods here and there. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the other note on Kevin is while we did get the very explicit dealing with the fan theories about Cheryl and Tony, the Kevin Fangs thing was only tangentially touched on with Kevin saying that he doesn't think he has any interest in dating a dude whose name is Fangs. Uh, yes, that was, I, that made me laugh quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't want to bring up to the poor boy that he's got a best friend named Jughead, but that's. Well, I feel like we all know a Jughead. Uh, and then the last thing that's on my notes that I kind of want to mention, just because I always revel in pointing out as many of these things as I can, is I, I kind of I, I know that Cheryl is like all red and cherry and blah blah blah, but I can't help but feel, especially in this episode with like I said that music cue, that the cherry coke thing is like a David Lynch nod, <laughs> uh, where because because Tony Topaz just makes such a point of let me guess cherry coke. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of like, wait, was that okay? Moving on. But, uh, I put it in my notes cause I wanted to make sure I at least acknowledge that like, that's the thing that immediately popped into my head. I mean, clearly the people making the show are fans of other shows like this show or that like, clearly it's taking inspiration from yeah a lot of very mysterious shows and clearly Twin Peaks and David Lynch are on that list. All right. Any final thoughts before we, uh, we go and paste this together because we're actually recording this like <laughs> that, minutes before the show airs. Um, I like the episode. Uh, I thought some of the love Simon stuff felt rushed, but also I'm, I'm fine with it. Like it led to, it led it, at the very least it led to interesting plot points. Yeah. And it wasn't just a commercial for the sake of having a commercial. Right. Even though it's going to be way more fun to just present it that way on Twitter. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, where where can people find you in the world of the wide web? Uh, at Chris Hayner on Twitter and Instagrams and all that stuff. Uh, and also follow at Waterworld Photos on Instagram because it'll change your life. Probably. And for me, it's Russ Burlingame, which is R-U-S-S-B-U-R-L-I-N-G-A-M-E. And at ECV underscore podcast on Twitter. All other social media, it's Emerald City Video Podcast. That's where you can hear myself and people used to work with me at a video store, talk about movies. If you ever watch any of the YouTube videos that occasionally get made public from this podcast, that's why my icon is a VHS tape. So uh, we want you to do us a favor and like, share, subscribe to Archie Digest, a Riverdale podcast. We are on. Review it. Yes, review it. It's been a while since we had reviews. Uh, although I just, we just got a, a really nice review, but it was on Podbean. And I feel like I don't know anybody who reads reviews on Podbean. So if you're the person who reviewed us on Podbean, thank you so much for your kind words. Uh, please put it on like Stitcher or Blueberry or iTunes or someplace where people, uh, regularly browse for things. Cause I feel like Podbean, almost nobody looks at the liner notes. They just listen to the podcast cause that the, the, the interface is not great. I legit have no idea what Blueberry is. It's There's like nine things that I have signed us up for so that we're represented on pretty much every little podcast player in the universe. Right uh, on. So, 
Uh, I don't spend as much time as I should tweeting and promoting and all that kind of crap, but I do make sure that we're at least easy to find. Yes. That's good. All right. We will be back next week with, uh, shucks. I can't remember the name of next week's episode. Ooh, I had it open and then I closed it. So chapter 28, something, 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 something. All right. And we will, uh, we'll talk to you then. Later y'all.